Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where there's an explosion sound effect. And then we review some films. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold, and I, too, am a film critic. Uh, I review films. And you're going to be reviewing a lot of films this week. We, we got a big old pile this week uh, without even really trying. No. In fact, here's what happened. We've got ten new movies to review this week, and none of us saw the same films. <laughs> and that's frustrating because we like to have like that back and forth, but we're going to be covering a lot of material here, and there was no way that we would all be able to do it. Like, there's, We wouldn't all be able to see all ten films. Mm. So here's what we got. Uh, we've got the new James Bond movie, No Time to Die. <clears throat> we've got the new Lamb movie, Lamb. Uh, we've got the new VHS movie, VHS 1994. Or I guess it's just VHS 94. V slash H slash S slash 94. We've got the new Justin Bieber movie, Our World. Uh, We've got the new The Rescue movie, The Rescue. We've got the new South of Heaven movie, South of Heaven. (laughs) It's a Jason Sudeikis movie. We've got the new The Manor movie, The Manor. Uh, We've got the new movie about someone being inside your house. It's called There's Someone Inside Your House. Uh, We've got a new movie that's about like sort of like a whole bunch of like physical like stuff. It's called Mass. Uh, and uh, and then lastly, Muppets Haunted Mansion. It's a lot. It is. That's yeah. a ton of stuff. Um, uh, are we going to go in that order that you listed? Not necessarily. All right. Not necessarily. I do think we need to start with No Time to Die. All I think right. it's the movie that uh, people. Have... No Time to Die was supposed to come out pretty much right when the quarantine started. Yeah. It has been pushed yeah, back mm. constantly. Everyone was always super optimistic about it. Like, eh, we'll push it back three months. Ah, we'll push it back six months. It's got to push back so much. Daniel Craig did an episode of Saturday Night Live promoting the new release of this movie like over a year ago. So it's it's been a while. It's It's been a long time. It's been delayed and delayed and delayed. They wanted to wait until it was in theaters. Uh, It opened in theaters to... um, Pretty good. Pretty good uh, box office. James and, uh, Bond wasn't a few films, notwithstanding. James Bond hasn't always been like the biggest opening weekend mm. box office breaking records movie of all time. Yeah, no, I, none of I think. I think um, Skyfall did. Skyfall was a huge hit, and I think yeah. that's the biggest hit in in James Bond history in terms I think, of just raw I think Spectre dollars. made money, but like yeah, they, uh, they they all make money. They're all mm. big hits, but they have they're not all billion dollar yeah. films. They're just the, consistently gigantic. Yeah, this is the. They used to be. If you adjust for inflation, mm-hmm. Goldfinger made like a stupid amount of money, like a, <laughs> like a shocking amount of mm-hmm. money. But if you adjust for today's standards, like it would be like bigger than Marvel. Like it was gigantic. Yeah, uh, and and it's one of the best ones. Um, yeah, it's up there. Uh, James Bond has always uh, kind of mutated with the times, uh, in that uh, he is a product of the Cold War. Yep. Uh, when the Berlin Wall fell, there were several years before they made another James Bond movie. They came back with GoldenEye. And uh, that one sort of said, uh, James Bond can still work in a post-Cold War world. There's still uh, stuff yeah. to do. It's just There's, not yeah. going to be the same stuff. Yeah, or it's not yeah. just like Russian spies anymore. Yeah. He ended uh, up fighting like yeah. a lot of like big businessmen. And, right. Uh, we you know, we were uh, terrorists really, and stuff. Really suspicious. Of, well, I mean, uh, evil billionaires has always been a staple of the James Bond series. True. So those didn't go uh, away. He fought. He fought like mm-hmm. a, a, an ex. MI6 agent who had gone rogue. Mm. Uh, so that, it made that sense. Was, that was Goldeneye. Um, yeah. yeah Gold, I, Goldeneye's my favorite. Uh, it's up there. 
My favorite. No, no. What, what do you, out of curiosity, what are your favorite James? If you had to pick like just a handful, oh, uh, what are the ones that come to mind? Uh, Goldfinger. Yep. Still love Goldfinger. Sure. Um, I really love uh, For Your Eyes Only of the Roger Moore era. That's a rock solid film. Yeah, that's a yeah, really like really good one. I love Golden Eye, and mm-hmm. uh, I guess those three. Those are like okay. my, 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 the three big ones. For, uh, for me, it's uh, for me it's the Daniel Craig Casino Royale. I mm. think that's just a great to the heart of the character, to the heart of the franchise. Mm. They nailed it. Golden Eye is. Pretty damn impeccable. Hmm. Uh, the original 1960s Casino Royale. That's really fun. Which yeah, a, really, really hilarious. A lot of people think of that as the bad one because it wasn't made by Ian Productions and it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's, it's um, a spoof. It's than, a spoof. Yeah. No denying it. It is officially a James Bond movie. It's an adaptation of an official James Bond novel. Uh, David hmm. Niven plays James Bond. Uh, but rewatch that movie again and just... Don't don't think of it as part of this other franchise. <laughs> think of it as a commentary on the James Bond franchise. Mm. It's actually very good. Oh, definitely. It's goofy sometimes, yeah. but it's very very smart. And what then I of, also the... love. I think I think if you're going to declare your love for James Bond movies, you have to like one stupid one, because every three <laughs> or four James Bond movies, there's a, there's just a cheesy mm. cheeky one, and, and, and I like a lot st- of them. And they all star Roger Moore. Um, <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, not true. Diamonds yeah. Are Forever is very silly, and I like that one a lot. Mm. But for me, I think A View to a Kill gets a bum rap. It's got great villains. I'll, I'll say There's that, some good stunts in it, even though you can tell it's a stunt double. I don't I'll care. I'll say that the Duran Duran song in View to a Kill is, is one of the better ones. Uh, I think View to a Kill is a it, very compulsively watchable film. Okay. Yeah. It, although it is incredibly stupid. It's, a lot yeah. of them are. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, think those, I think that's part of James Bond, too. Mm. James, James Bond, when you average them out, they're okay, overall. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've seen Peaks all the James, valleys, seen all the James Bond movies. Um this is the fifth uh, film, No Time to Die, is the fifth film with uh, Daniel Craig. And the Daniel Craig era uh, has two uh, things that set it apart from the other ones. Uh, this is... One, it's a reboot. Well, it's it's a reboot, but it's a reboot in uh, the post-9-11 world. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, GoldenEye was the post-Cold War James Bond. This is the post-9-11 James Bond. Even right. though Die Another Day was made in 2002, that one was still trying to figure out what the hell to do after 9-11. So that it's one like, felt like it was probably like, like... half serious torture and then half just Saturday morning cartoon. I'm, it was probably like being developed before that, and yeah. then they were like, well, we have to do something to comment on it, and it ends up feeling like a Frankenstein monster, because yeah. it was also supposed to be the fun one that was like, it was like the 20th in the series. It was the so 50th were, anniversary of Bond, or some were, anniversary They were doing Bond. like a shout, like there's a, there's a shout out to like every single Bond film in that movie. Oh. It's supposed to be cheeky. But then it's also post 9-11, so they had to take yeah, it really so, seriously uh, in parts, and it just ends up being then, weird. But then they came back in 2006 with uh, Christina Royale, and that's uh, a much much more serious version of the character. Um, yeah. The first two films, uh, another critic pointed out that in the first two films of the Daniel Craig uh, series, mm-hmm. he's he's young and impulsive and still learning how to be a spy. Yeah, Quantum and the, Solace takes place like literally one mm-hmm. minute after Casino Royale. And, uh, still, and, like, the, and the last the three, he's already yeah. too old <laughs> to yeah. be doing this. Uh, yeah, we, we never, too, you should be retired by now. We, like, ne- we never got the just him doing it out of the, the Daniel Craig the, years. It's not uh, about Star Trek. Like, yeah. <laughs> with the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, there were like two where they were like... We're, just we're all, gearing up and they're the all third rookies. One they said, yeah. like, oh, we've been doing this for five years. We're so tired of it. I'm like, what the... What the when, when, do we, when do we get that middle part? We want to see the middle part where it's fun. What are you yeah. doing? So we, we've, we've had no middle part with uh, Daniel Craig. Yeah. And these are also an oddity in that they're direct sequels to one another. Uh, yeah. Events from the previous Daniel Craig movies play into the, the later ones. Which uh, is... Previously, the James Bond movies were all autonomous. Yeah, occasionally they would reference, like, because uh, James Bond got married in Our Majesty's mm-hmm. Secret Service and she died in that film. 
a few later films mm-hmm. reference that, yeah. even if it wasn't the same James Bond. It happened that Timothy Dalton referenced that, Roger Moore referenced that. Yeah. Um, but uh, other the, than that, yeah, almost nothing correlated. In No Time to Die, he is married again. Uh, okay. He's married to the Leia Seydoux character who played a role in Spectre that I didn't remember. Yeah. <laughs> she was the romantic interest. I don't remember their relationship, how they met, or what yeah. role she played. There's not a lot to remember about Spectre. Spectre isn't really uh, worth... Rem- I, I, there's... I remember there was a lot of backstory stuff and you know, how Blofeld got his scar, that kind of garbage. They, they and, pulled uh, the, the Star Trek in the Darkness bullshit where it's like, oh, he's not Blofeld, we promise. Surprise, my name is Blofeld. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But the thing I love is that when they tried to connect him to Bond's backstory mm. and they gave him the Spaceballs connection when it's like, I was your hunting instructor's son's <laughs> secret twin or some bullshit. And I'm like, what does that make you don't care. no connection to Bond? Who cares? You're not his brother. Right. What are you doing? But yeah, at the start of this incredibly long movie, uh, yeah. James Bond and Leia Seydoux are married. Uh, James Bond is quite a bit older than Leia Seydoux and looks at, he looks like her dad. And I yeah. thought he was like looking after her in a fatherly sort of way until they started making out. Yeah, it was uh, weird to me that they settled on like that would be the relationship. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say this, this is the, I haven't seen this. Okay. Uh, Whitney got to see this. I did not. I it's a three hour movie, and I had so much other things in my schedule. Like the screening for this conflicted with the screening for Venom, which I had to review for publication. So I had to pick one or the for the other. That, that was yeah. You, you, yeah. you take the the paid work, but yeah, uh, you, you got to do what you got to yeah. do. And I meant to get around to it. And you know, we can't put this episode off forever. If we'd given it a couple more days, I probably would have seen it. But we just had to bite the bullet yeah. on this. But I remember finding out that like, oh, he's going to be married to Lea Seydoux. That relationship has, like, no real romance no, to but, it. Uh, They're not on an the, even uh, keel. It's such a weird thing to double down on. The the romance that we remember from this particular arc of James Bond was his romance with the character Vesper Lind, who was played yeah. by Ava Green in Casino Royale, and she Great died character. in that movie. Yeah. Uh, while he's visiting her grave, wouldn't you know it, there's a bomb in her grave, and it <laughs> goes off. No. This is right at the beginning of the movie. That's how it begins. Yeah, and, That's uh, hilarious. Like he's on a honeymoon with Leia Seydoux. He's retired from MI6. Uh-huh. He's not a, not a James he's Bond. He's visiting Vesper Lynn's grave, d- and it's d- got a bomb in there just in no, case. He's no longer 007, but yeah, he visits her grave, <laughs> oh and a bomb god. goes off in it. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, that sounds, that's, that yeah. sounds like something you'd see in a Roger Moore movie. Uh, kind of. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I can imagine, yeah. like, like, I don't know, like, the, 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 the name on the grave. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, like sort says, of transforming, yeah. or like all of a sudden it's, it counts down from like it. The letters turn and it says 007, but then it counts down to double six, double five, double four, double two. It's not quite that corny. Uh, yeah. the, the, again, these these uh, Daniel Craig movies because they're the post nine eleven ones are a lot uh, harder edged. Yeah, they're not downer, not yeah. nearly as playful. Uh, this one is trying to do that, but because it's two hours and forty five minutes, it does everything as else as well. Mm. So we have a really complicated plot about how he, uh, rather than go back to MI6, ends up working for the CIA very briefly. And, oh. and Felix Leiter, played That's by Jeffrey cool. Wright, he's back. Right. That's kind of a fun twist. And uh, he is out to find out this uh, bizarre technology that's being released into the world, possibly by Spectre, possibly by, by Blofeld himself, who is in a super prison somewhere. What about Quantum? Quantum became Spectre, remember? Oh, it was going to be Quantum, but then they changed it to Spectre. No, I know. And then they like showed in Spectre, like in, in the movie Spectre, how like Spectre was behind everything. And mm. I'm like, yeah, and Quantum was was a fake out. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, uh, Spectre. Spectre was trying to hide behind Quantum. I'm like, the 
fuck are you talking about? They were they were going to have a new Spectre. It was going to be called Quantum. Yeah, I don't think they had the rights to the, Spectre yet or maybe something. Maybe not. And like, and I can't yeah, remember. But, like, yeah. but then they went back to Spectre and they even named a movie Spectre. So yeah. uh, anyway, um, Blofeld is in a prison. Uh, and does it does he get to be oh, in like a does he get to be in like a prison cell that's like a giant plastic cube? Yes, he, I was joking. He was in a giant plastic cube. Well, he they go into like the little prison room and there's like an an aperture opens in the wall and a plastic cube like like in the movie Cube like kind of shifts its way out of this network oh and God. slides down the hallway door. That's so, hilarious. So there's, like, some silly James Bond stuff yeah. in I this. want to find out there are, like, uh, other Bond villains in that, like, cube prison. Like, he's just, like, he's got his cell next to Hugo Drax. Oh, yeah. there you go. Oh, uh, 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 a detail I forgot. There is a time jump in this movie. Uh, oh. After that uh, opening, um, James Bond isn't really sure if he can trust the Leia Seydoux character anymore. And then they're apart for many, for uh, several years. I think like four or five years. Cool. So there's, there's Glad a we time, did this. It's a time jump. Then that's when he gets involved with the CIA and Jeffrey Wright says, hey, we need your help with this weird, we think it's a virus, but it could be nanobots uh, that oh are, God. that's the death machine in this movie. And we think it might <sighs> be Blofeld, but really it's actually a very, very underdeveloped villain played by Rami Malek, whose motivations are never explained. Oh. We, we know what he's doing and what, and how he's going to do it, but we never really figure out why he wants to do Deathbot stuff. Oh, uh, cool. And of course, naturally he's going to, uh, in working for the CA arouse the attention of MI6 and he goes back to MI6. 007, his old number has been given to a new agent. Is it, Play, is it Rashana Lynch? It's Lashana Lynch. Lashana Lynch. Sorry, and yeah. she's amazing. I'm not surprised. I am a huge fan of her ever since we saw, um, what was that Shakespeare show she was on? Oh, uh, Still Starcrossed. Still Starcrossed. Yeah. That was a good show, and she yeah. was good in it. She was really good in that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she she plays the new 007, and nice. uh, there's a little bit of resentment that uh, she has his old number, and he goes in working for MI6 as a visitor. And that's, <laughs> like he, he, has, have a he, has a, he has a little visitor badge yes. in one scene. Um, <laughs> the... the uh, uh, and of course, he's going to uh, run into Leia Seydoux again, and they're uh-huh. going to have a lot of tension. And uh, because their love et cetera, was so important and pure, it's, it's, you know, yeah, we gotta really reserve. important and pure, and they yeah. were married for uh, the, the introduction of this. Bond's movie. truest love, of course, was the Leia Seydoux character. Yeah, who's? Let me yeah. look up the name of that. Does character. it justify <laughs> being three hours long? Well, this is definitively the last. Are... The definitively the last. Daniel Craig movie. They're not well, going to sure. make ones after this. I, I get that mm. they want to like go out with a bang and cram mm. as much into it as possible. That's fine. But for me, I th- one of the reasons why Casino Royale is my favorite Bond film mm. is because it's maybe the only Bond film that doesn't feel padded. There's a lot oh. of padding in James Bond mm. movies. There's a lot of sequences that yeah. we don't really... They might yeah. be fun, but we don't need them. They're a, they're a digression from the plot. Mm. There's a lot of storylines that are unnecessarily complicated. It could have been really simple and direct. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, and I know a lot of like the appeal of James Bond is sort of the travel log. Mm. We get to go to different places in the world and luxuriate in them and enjoy them. But I also feel like we could pick up the pace a smidge sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Does does uh, it feel? Do you feel the length in this? Definitely. Oh. Yeah. This 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 feels really really long. They're they're stretching out the plot and they're trying to do a lot of personal stuff with James Bond. Uh, I'm glad that they're not going the Skyfall route and mm. trying to explain like his childhood and his past. Yeah. And that that's uh, pretty dull. But uh, it's kind of odd to see that this Daniel Craig char- version of the character who is supposed to be like the young hothead who is in a hard edged world. 
has now sort of aged into the, well, the world's changing, what you gonna do kind of attitude. That, yeah. And he has a, a few conversations to that effect with uh, Felix Leiter. Yeah. There is a dynamite fight scene in this movie mm. uh, in Cuba where yeah. he meets up with another agent played by Ana de Armas. So a little, a little Knives Out reunion. That's cool. Uh, and they just lay waste to a bar together. And he's in his suit, and she's in this, like, slinky dress. And they have, like, little earpieces, and they're communicating while they fight. And it's awesome. Cool. That's a fun sequence. Nice. This movie forgets to have more of that. Mm. I mean, James Bond is, it's an action franchise. You want a lot of, a lot of action... Uh, set pieces in your movies and, and a, this and a, has a takes a long time to do a lot of establishing plot mm-hmm. and reconnecting characters there's a scene where they go to q's apartment we get to see where q lives in this one and oh, okay. how, how he gets back into mi6 there's a huge amount of this movie I'm not gonna lie, that is devoted devoting to go yeah. back to going back to where uh yeah. you know, getting essentially back to status quo and meeting m again yeah. it's like we don't why are we spending so much time just sort of establishing it's, this so you can do the pretty typical James Bond cliche where you raid a supervillain's you know, super lab. Yeah. The thing I think is interesting about James Bond, well, I actually think a lot of things are interesting about James Bond. Any character that's durable, mm. who's uh, survived this many generations, the you know, movies are over 60 years old now. Mm. Uh, well, almost 60 years old, I think. I remember when the, when the first one came out, like 62, 63? 63, I think. 63. Yeah. Nearly 60 years old. Uh, so boy, are they going to try to churn one another one out real fast, aren't yeah. they? They get to that sixty-year anniversary. Yeah. Well, but my my point is this: yeah. he endures, and for a long time he endured. I think because he was kind of the ultimate macho power fantasy. Yeah, he was so sexually voracious, mm-hmm. physically tough. The appeal got to of, travel. Yeah, the, the got to have of, uh, all the all the uh, all of the. Uh, uh, he got to enjoy being moneyed without actually having a day job. Hmm. Um, well, being a, a spy was his day job. Well, um, yeah, but you know what I mean. He doesn't have to like sit at a desk. Yeah, you know, he gets to just he he does he, he what he does to live this like really glossy glitzy lifestyle mm. is stuff that is fun and cool. Yeah, the uh, the appeal of James Bond is not the James Bond character; it's being the James Bond yeah, character. It's an escapist it's, yeah, for, power fantasy, for, and, it's, and, and it's a very masculine power. Yeah, fantasy. for for a lot of men, especially. Yeah. And uh, I feel like when Daniel Craig came along, it's like. Because the post 9-11 world was a very serious world and the world of like um, espionage and the world of, uh, you know, military intelligence was not seen as a fun thing. It It was seen as a very serious, all, you know, the world is at stake kind of thing. Um, It feels like these movies, the Daniel Craig movies were never allowed to have fun. It feels like there was always a sort of like a vague sort of shame about it. Yeah. Like I do all these things, but I have to be really sad. Would you like that shaking or stirred? He says, do I look like I give a damn? Yeah. Which is at one hand, a funny joke. On the other hand, he's not even enjoying his drink. Mm. He doesn't even have a favorite drink. And like, I, I remember when when the movie came out, a lot there were a lot of apologists saying that it was more accurate to uh, the literary origins of James and, Bond. And, and initially, the, yeah, Casino Royale is much more close to the books than yeah. most of the other movies were. Yeah, of course, James Bond had already become something else at that point. True. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing when the next one comes out, uh, Casino Royale will drop in many people's estimation. Uh, I think Casino Royale rang really, uh, really loudly with so many people mm. is because of its uh, direct reaction to the world we were living in at the time. Mm. 
Uh, it's a good, it's, you know, an action film with a good screenplay. That's something yeah. you can't say about a lot of the James Bond movies. Very true. It, I think it's the best written James Bond movie. It's actually got a character arc for him. Yeah, like it yeah. like it has things that you can, you've, a story you can follow. Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, like that, the plot's like, actually pretty simple. Not like one. No Time to Die. Yeah. Uh, Lashif has, is, like a, is like a money broker for like fascist dictators all over the world. He used that money to do a scheme. James Bond foils the scheme. Now he's out of money, and in order to make enough money to pay off all the fascist dictators, he has to win a poker tournament. And James Bond enters the poker tournament. That's, That's the movie. In, in it's the, a simple uh, plot. In, in the book, it's uh, Baccarat, but uh, hey, American audiences don't really know well, Baccarat, so the, I think they changed it the, the to, popularity to of the American audience. Well, also just the popularity of, of, of various games of chance evolves over time, and yeah. nowadays everyone was playing... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Texas Hold'em. That's that what was. it was. That's that's the that's the version of poker that everyone plays now. So yeah, it'd be weird yeah. if they weren't playing that. So I, I, so. I get that. Right. I'm not going to complain about that. But uh, I, I'm guessing the next one. This is the first uh, James Bond film to come out. It was meant to come out during the Trump administration. Yeah. And now it's a post-Trump movie, technically. Um, I'm guessing the next one, like this, is the uh, the Die Another Day of the James of the Daniel Craig James Bonds mm. in that it's just sort of wrapping things up, but it's not reacting to world politics yet. Mm. This is sort of like doing the, the James Bond story rather than a commentary on the world at large. You think the next one's going to be I think, another commentary? I think it's going to be very directly another commentary. See, my theory is I think mm. the next one, mm. because we've had so many dour James Bonds in a row, I think we're going to have a fun one again. It's going to be a... I think maybe not Roger Moore silly, but I think mm. we're going to, there's going to be a bit more like Goldfinger playful. I think that's. Yeah. I think people are looking for a bit more escapism from Bond. It's been dour for a while. I think they're going to want a Bond that is a bit more of like a good time at the movies. Yeah, um, I think that's my theory. I think. Maybe so. I think, I think we're a little overdue for it to like bounce back in the other direction. A smidge. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to guess that there's going to be a lot of um, uh, authorit- a reaction to authoritarian rulers through around the world uh, could be in, that, in these yeah. movies in yeah. the next wave of movies. Oh, definitely. I'm yeah. sure that's going to be a real yeah. issue. Um, so, but getting back yeah. to the movie at hand, not, mm. not speculating about the future. Um, <laughs> is it a satisfying wrap up to the, to the Daniel Craig movies? Is it uh, satisfying on its own? It, it, is it good? Is it a good movie? Should people go see it? It's, in theaters? it's only okay. Uh, there, okay. there's, there's a good movie hiding in it, but there's so much of the, bidding farewell to the character and wrapping up a lot of emotional loose ends with the character that, yeah, it just starts to sprawl and splay out and just kind of take its damn time to the point where you're just sort of waiting for it to end. Yeah. It's like, okay, where, where is this going to go? Okay. Okay. Good. Good. We're, we're, we're done with this. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and James Bond will return. That's James. Yeah. yeah. It, it, this is kind of in the middle of the James Bond canon. Well, uh, speaking of uh, giant, long-running franchises, uh, Muppets. Muppets are a giant, long-running franchise. Wouldn't you love to see Muppet James Bond? Yeah. Would James Bond be a human, or would Kermit be James Bond? I think you'd have to have James Bond be a human, and everyone else. Like, Kermit would be, like, M. No, Sam Eagle would be M. Okay, well, but that Sam Eagle's American, though. Uncle Deadly would be M. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Thanks for coming, Bond. (laughs) Uh, and then you got, um, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, Professor Honeydew would be Q, Beaker yeah, would be in there as well. That that writes itself. Yeah. That's the easiest thing in the world. Uh, obviously, Miss Piggy would be the Bond girl du jour. Yeah. Um, does, does that mean Kermit would be Felix Leiter? No, nah, well, maybe, actually. Yeah. I could see that. I yeah. could maybe see that. I could, 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. If he can't be M and he can't be Bond, I think he's gonna be Felix Leiter. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That works. Or he could be like 006 or something like that. How about they're, they're both James Bond 007 and they keep no, getting mixed up? No, 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 no. Yeah. A, they already did that with uh, Muppets Most, with that, uh, uh, Mupp- the Great Muppet Caper, mm. where uh, the whole idea is. Kermit that Fozzie are they're, they're twins. They're twins, yeah. and no one can tell them apart, and that's the joke. But anyway, uh, the Muppets. The Muppets are a long-running, wonderful franchise. Uh, I don't know a lot of people who don't at least casually enjoy the Muppets. Mm. The Muppets are just wonderfully silly, fun creations. Uh, They are consummate show people. They work in the business we call show. And the gag is that they're not good at it, but the irony is that they're really great at it. Everyone has a favorite Muppet. If you don't like one Muppet, another Muppet will do it for you. (laughs) And but there's something, and this is something I've talked about a lot. Actually, there's something we've never really seen from the Muppets. The Muppets have given us multiple Muppet movies about them making it in show business, multiple road trip movies. They've done a couple of classics adaptations: uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island. They did the Muppet Wizard of Oz on television. I've actually never seen that. Uh, Several Muppet. I've heard that's why I haven't seen it. Uh, Several Muppet Christmas specials. Uh, But they've never done anything horror related, and for a long time. I have maintained that the best possible Muppet movie we haven't had yet is Muppet Dracula. Yeah. Preferably with Tom Hardy as Dracula. <laughs> and that's funny, and you or, know that's funny. Because you can see him with or Venom. Os- Oscar Isaac. Or, uh, yeah, Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Uh, kind of. Maybe Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I love Oscar Isaac. This may be a different character, but I don't. Uh, my point is this. The Muppets combined with horror is a fun idea. Because the Muppets undermine everything that they're in. And horror, in order to be scary, has to be taken seriously. So the Muppets taking the piss out of some kind of classic horror thing Mm. works. Disney has owned the Muppets for quite a while now. And their first big Muppet thing they've done is about an hour-long TV special slash movie called Muppets Haunted Mansion, in which Gonzo and Pepe, the King Prawn, have to spend the night... In a haunted house. Mm. And the haunted house is very specifically the haunted mansion from Disneyland. Mm. To the point that they actually say a lot of the dialogue that, like, the great Paul Freeze like, gave as the introduction. You know? Mm. Like, is, are these, is, is your eyes deceive you? Are these like, paintings when, when, really stretching? Is this haunted room actually stretch? I could do yeah. that whole narration for I, you. I, 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 I'm, I'm I very memorize. fond of the haunted mansion. I'm very fond I'm of not, it too. Not, I don't have it all memorized. But. I, if, if I never go back to Disneyland again, it'll be too soon because I, yeah. I fucking hate Disneyland, but mm. I do love the haunted mansion. On, on if you the, could take out the haunted mansion and just... The haunted you know, mansion's iconic. Yeah. And I think uh, we have on our, on our podcast in our, in our car... Yeah. Uh, I, the entire audio for the Haunted Mansion mm. ride. Yeah, and you can just listen to, to that to straight, and it's great. For uh, one of the anniversaries of the ride, they yeah. put out a CD, and yeah. I have that CD of all... It's yeah. it's not just the audio from the ride, but, like, other actors who auditioned for the Paul Freeze mm-hmm. role, and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's really great. Uh, s- some outtakes of Paul Freeze, and it's really great when he's like, welcome, foolish... Wait, you want, want me to do again? Yeah, I can do it again. Like, <laughs> like when he's actually like, talking to the guy in the booth. I, I love the Haunted Mansion. It's one of my favorite things. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb at Disneyland, except when they do the uh, you know the whole uh, Nightmare Before Christmas 
cosmetic change in the holiday season mm -hmm. because it's actually a pretty scary haunted house. It's actually like mm. pretty, pretty, pretty creepy. You know, it's really good atmosphere. It's gorgeous. Happy haunts here. Yeah, it's 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 got a sense of humor, but it's also just a pretty straightforward, good haunted house. Um, so the idea of putting the Muppets in the haunted house makes sense. Makes a bit more sense than that Eddie Murphy movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the haunted mansion with Eddie Murphy is. A very bad film. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not funny or it, scary. It's hard to watch. Uh, there's good production design in it, and uh, Jennifer Tilly is a great Madame Leota, hmm. the uh, uh, psychic head in the uh, what do you call it? The crystal ball. Crystal ball. Thank you. It's late. Uh, is, uh, is Miss Piggy Madame Leota in this yes. one? Oh, okay. Okay. Yes, they, 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 okay. Good. I'm glad they did it right. Yeah. No, they did it right. <laughs> they did it right. The uh, uh, the the gag is it's Halloween. And Gonzo and Pepe the Prawn. And I, I do want to ask, uh, when did Gonzo have a falling out with Rizzo? Because they were the dyad. This is like, all of a sudden... <laughs> Are they on the outs in this? this, this yeah, I don't know. They don't have it. Like it, He shows up for like one shot. But for many films and, and shows and things, Gonzo and Rizzo were best friends. Mm -hmm. And they were the ones going on adventures together. And now it's Gonzo and Pepe. I love Pepe. But I feel like we missed a beef. Or something that happened between Gonzo and Rizzo. This would be like, uh, okay, so we had Abbott and Costello uh, meet Frankenstein. And Abbott and Costello meet the Wolfman. And now we're going to have, uh, like... Abbott hates Costello. No, it's not Abbott hates Costello. It's like, Abbott and Harpo <laughs> meet the Invisible Man. And you're just sort of like, I mean, that's interesting, but that's not what I expect i know pepe has definitely surpassed rizzo in popularity in recent years pepe's a fun, i like pepe pepe is a fun character mm. he's he's uh he thinks of himself as quite the ladies shrimp mm. and i think that's uh that's something very charming when a when a when a muppet thinks that they're god's gift to sex there's something <laughs> that's very funny about it and he spends a You're, lot of the movie being not... romanced by uh taraji p henson which is just funny <laughs> It's just funny to see Taraji B. Henson seduce a shrimp. It's just funny, damn it. Yes, I will go out with you, Taraji B. Henson. Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, they have this. So they all the other Muppets are having a Halloween party, and there's a couple of good sight gags yeah. of uh, you know we get to see this Halloween party, and uh, Miss Piggy and Kermit's couple's costume is he's dressed as Miss Piggy and she's dressed as Kermit, which That's is actually cute. very cute. Mm -hmm. um, they're having a big Halloween party, and uh, Kermit calls Gonzo and says, Hey, where are you? And Gonzo's like, Oh, I have been invited uh, to a, a Halloween fright experience uh, at the home of my favorite magician who died a hundred years ago, the great MacGuffin. And oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that adorable? And uh, I, we're going to go spend the night at this incredible party, and uh, Pepe the Prawn assumes it's going to be like a fancy party with lots of celebrities. Uh, they go there and they have like a big musical number with all the ghosts in the cemetery. And you know, there's, there's a moment when you realize that you're old and that's when <laughs> you're watching, um, cause, cause the gag with a lot of Muppet stuff is that there's always a lot of celebrity cameos. Mm. Sometimes they're playing themselves. Sometimes it's just like, Oh, the uh, person working at this perfume stand with Miss Piggy is played by Joan Rivers. Right, but yeah. the whole gag is you know that that's Joan Rivers. You know that that's Gregory Hines. You mm -hmm. know, you recognize all the cameos. 
when you don't recognize the cameos, <laughs> that's when you know you're a little old. And there so was when, even a, there was even a joke to that effect in the 2011 Muppets film. Uh, oh, like, yeah. It's like yeah. Th- three celebrities. Oh, look. It's like Selena Gomez. Oh, look, like, Selena Gomez. And it was the kid from uh, um, Modern Family. Oh, yeah, yeah, that kid. Like the, the, the child yeah. actor. And, like, then, oh, and, and he's, look, Kermit looks at him and just says, hello. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you. So there's the grave digger. And he sings the musical number, and all the ghosts come out, and the grim grinning ghosts are out to socialize. Oh. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, and, and I'm like, okay, this is a cute number, and this 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 dude can sing. Am I supposed to know who this is? And it turns out it's a guy named Darren Chris, okay, who is on Glee mm. and has done other things as well. Okay, good for him, is what I will say, <laughs> because I do not know you, Darren Chris. I have I have missed your entire celebrity, and that is that is on me. Mm. That is not on you, Darren Chris, whose name I am repeating, so I won't forget it in the future because apparently you're a big deal. Uh, but it made me feel very old to just be baffled. Um, they're greeted in the haunted mansion by Will Arnett playing the host. Will Arnett not even trying to sound like Paul Freese. Okay, got that it. offended. No, that offended me actually. Get someone who sounds like Paul Freeze. There's a lot of actors who could do Paul Freeze. Do Paul um, Freeze. Paul Freeze is an is an important part of the Haunted yeah. Mansion experience. You'd have to get another voice actor. There's, could there's do other that. people who have a good deep voice. I'd love to see Mo LaMarche on camera. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be fun. Why not? Um, but uh, in any case, the whole idea is they have to spend the night there and they have to confront their fears if they ever want to get out alive. Uh, and uh, all the other Muppets show up as various other ghosts. Doesn't really matter that we saw them elsewhere as themselves. We're just going to not really deal with that at all. Um, A lot of the jokes fall flat. Some of them are kind of funny. All the songs are pretty forgettable. They're not getting Paul Williams anymore. What can you do? Um, And it all ends up with uh, Gonzo, who has always thought of himself as very fearless, realizing that what he's actually afraid of is that if he doesn't constantly like try to break his bones in a stunt or something, people won't love him. Which oh. is actually kind of sweet, and I think it's mm. a good story. And then meanwhile, Pepe the Prawn uh, is being seduced by Taraji P. Henson, who is playing the ghost of a woman who killed all her husbands, and all the ghosts of her husbands are <laughs> all the ghosts of her husbands are there. <laughs> so That's it's like funny. so they're trying to warn him and they're just like, oh, he's not listening. Well the 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 the, the, uh, the... The ghost of the bride is a highlight yeah. of the ride. Exactly. You know, so she plays a, the bride. wedding dress. You don't really you see her eyes, but not her face, yeah. and you can see her beating heart through her chest. And you can see the beating heart yeah. through Taraji P. Hansen's chest as yeah. well. Taraji P. Hansen yeah. is clearly having a good time seducing a shrimp. More power to her. Um, it's got to be so much fun to be in a Muppet film. Oh my god, I would kill to be in a Muppet. Film. I got <laughs> to interview Kermit once. I know you did too. Yeah. It's. It's. I. I wish everyone had the opportunity. It's enchanting. Even when yeah, yeah. you can see the puppeteer, it's enchanting. Yeah, you, just, and you don't. You're not talking to puppeteer. You're talking to Kermit. And I wasn't really sure what the etiquette was. Like I, I wasn't going to look at the puppeteer. I was just making eye contact with Kermit, and I, I guess I did it right. Um, I talked to the puppeteer briefly, yeah. but once you're once you're talking to Kermit, you're talking to Kermit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I got to ask Kermit the one thing I'd always wanted to ask Kermit. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, in, in your movies, you play a character named Kermit the Frog, but how is that different from you? Kermit the Frog. Like, how much of that character is your, you yourself? And I could see Kermit, like, kind of, kind of like, actually, reared back a little bit. I had to a, think about that a for a real second. question? Yeah. I'm so used to, like, is it easy being green? Like, you're so used to yeah. the softballs, and, like, all of a sudden you get a good one. Yeah. Um, 
this 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 is an hour long Halloween TV movie that is mildly amusing. Okay, that's what it boils down to. Is it's mildly amusing. It's definitely not as good as any of the films. Hmm. Uh, it's not as good as most of the TV stuff I've seen, like the hmm. Muppet uh, Christmas special where they go to Fozzie's family's house. Hmm. That's fucking awesome. Hmm. That's a great fucking Christmas special. This is merely an adequate Halloween special. They could have done so much more with this. It could have been so much better. Uh, I was f- trying to figure out what was keeping this held back, and I was watching this with um, uh, my partner, Michelle. And Michelle brought up, because they're huge on the Muppets, and they're also mm. uh, huge on themed entertainment and the Haunted Mansion in particular. Mm. And Michelle brought up the very, very good point that the problem with the special is Gonzo. I love Gonzo. Mm. Gonzo is the weird one. You put Gonzo in a haunted house, he's not going to want to go. He's going to be the one who's like satisfied and acclimated no. and thinks this is neat. You need someone who's. Did you act- see that guy? He was holding his own head. You yeah, need a character who's yeah. actually afraid. Mm. Someone who has fears to overcome. I mean, yeah, and I get the idea that Gonzo hasn't really searched his soul, but it's not really about that. It makes more sense if you have a character who is more typically portrayed as someone with baggage to overcome, like, mm. say, I don't know, Walter or Kermit. Uh,. You could do that. Uh, and as a result, because it's Gonzo, it's very likable, but it feels mm. very insubstantial. Mm. And it doesn't have that emotional kick that the best Muppet stuff does. Yeah, yeah. So, like, even though, like, the jokes are silly, you really feel something by the end. And it doesn't really have that. But it is cute. And I did enjoy it. And it is, again, it's an hour. It's worth seeing if you like the Muppets. Um, I still can't get over Kermit's new voice. It's just not quite right. <laughs> it's not the worst but it's mm. not quite right and it's, that fortunately he's not in it too much which the, is a sad the thing Muppet to say performers, about Kermit, yeah the Muppet yeah. performers haven't really switched out too often it's yeah. been a, a really a lot of the same troupe for a long and, and time and usually I'm okay with it like when Frank Oz stopped being Miss Piggy I was okay like I think mm. they got a decent replacement for Miss Piggy uh, but like yeah for whatever reason this new Kermit because yeah. it was Jim Henson at first, then Brian Henson for yeah. a while, and, and yeah, they were Brian great. And, and yeah, this this is new Kermit just isn't for me. But what are you gonna do? Um, anyway, mildly amusing. I still think Muppet Dracula is a much better way to go. Mm. Disney Dracula is in public domain. Do Muppet Dracula. Moving on. What do you want to talk about next? Um, why don't we talk about Lamb? Okay. Speaking of Muppets. Uh, kind of. Um, yeah. Lamb is an Icelandic film. Uh, it stars uh, Nomi Rapace and uh, an actor named Hilmer Snare Gudnason, and uh, they live in uh, on a sheep farm, it, kind of in the middle of a gigantic field surrounded by mountains. They're really isolated. And uh, the first part of the movie is them just sort of going about their business. A lot of shots of the sheep. And we get to just sort of see sheep be sheep for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. They tend to do that. There's a, a little bit of, uh, like, Gunda-style sweetness, that documentary film Gunda. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also a little bit of dread that the music is insisting upon. Something mm-hmm. weird is about to happen. Um, they're seen delivering baby lambs from the mama sheep. I, I think they're actually delivering lambs on camera. And uh, okay. one day they deliver a lamb and... They wrap it in a blanket and they bring it inside and they start like sort of cooing over it, much to the dismay of the mother you who stands outside their window bleating. Eventually, uh, that you doesn't go, uh, doesn't go uh, very well for that you. Mm. Uh, 
And you're wondering what is going on with their relationship with this lamb that they've taken inside and let sleep on the couch. And then the lamb wanders out one day and they get really panicky and they run out after it. And it's not until about a third of the way into the movie that you see that the lamb has the head of a lamb and the body of a human child. Oh, you know, like you do. Mm. Uh, yeah, like and, you have. And, and one of its hands is a, a hoof. But yeah. for the for the most part, it's a hum, human body with a lamb head. And they okay. do this with a combination of CGI and some clever editing. Um so they are looking after this little lamb child. Okie dokie. Uh, the uh, good, hus- good for them. The husband's ex-rocker brother, who's a little bit of a layabout, he wears leather jackets, he's a, a little, bit, little bit of a fuck up, uh, finds himself back in their home. He wanders back. Uh, we learn very quickly that he and the Nomi Rapace character had once had an affair. Uh, and he is looks at this lamb child and is a little bit weirded out. He's like, that's not a child, that's a lamb. It has a lamb head. But he eventually kind of comes around to it, and the movie then starts to be about the relationship between these three adults, and the fact that there is a lamb child in it is now a secondary feature of this film. Oh. So it it started out as this kind of fable about, maybe it's about humans' mastery of the animal domain, Maybe it's about uh, using animals as sort of avatars for children or using, uh, you know, facing the grief, uh, grief you had over a past trauma. There's some past trauma that uh, comes along in this movie. Yeah. But those sort of fable qualities don't really stick because it's a little bit ground down by its realist style. If this were just about three adults sort of working through their adult issues and we learn about their past and they have conversations that would have been like an interesting little kitchen sink drama with these three Good people man, yeah. without the presence of this, uh, fairy tale creature, but there's a fairy tale creature in it, mm. but it doesn't feel like a fairy tale. So by the time we sort of get to the end and we learn sort of the, a little bit more about the nature of this lamb and, uh, what has been, something that perhaps has been stalking their property because we hear a lot of uh, like animals wander around corners and we hear them panic and then there's blood in the next scene. Uh, So there might be some sort of creature lurking around as, as well. In addition to the lamb. Okay. When we finally get a little bit more of a portrait of what that thing might be or what it might represent, it, it it doesn't really matter. (laughs) It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, while it does have this sort of peculiar sense to it at the beginning, it, that peculiarness falls away and it starts to feel pretty tame after a while. It doesn't hmm. feel like a, a sort of this foreboding horror movie about weirdness in nature. It feels about just people having conversations and there's a lamb there. Well, people like and lambs. So it's really upsettingly underwhelming. Uh, it starts in this one direction where you think it's going to be about something a little bit more penetrating using a little bit of this surreal imagery. And then it forgets to do anything with a lot of that surreal imagery. Do you think the problem, and I'm curious about this Mm -hmm. because sometimes when movies are odd or Mm -hmm. uh, unconventional, uh, we respond to them because they don't meet what our expectations are. And it's not necessarily the movie's fault. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you feel as though this is an issue of expectation? 
Well, no, do, I don't do, have do, any expectations. No, I'm for just saying movie. that like the movie sets you up for one way and then it transforms. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like if you watch the movie now, knowing what you know about what happens in it, would it mm-hmm. be feel more cohesive, or do you feel like it just loses its way? It loses its way. Most okay. certainly, it does. Oh, just, uh, I think it's a fair question to ask. Yeah, and, I, you know. I, I think it it spends a, a long, long time focusing on the relationship between three adults mm-hmm. and how they get along, how they communicate, and how they've kind of grown apart and are alienated with one another and uh, how they don't understand one another's lifestyle. And the lamb itself is sort of a, a emblematic of that schism between these people. But it's such a bizarre image that you can't merely throw it in there as a symbol when we actually already have the characters talking about those things. Yeah. We don't need the symbol when they're just saying it. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. So... Uh, uh, A24 came at me with an Icelandic horror movie about a kid with a lamb head and and disappointed me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what can you do, right? They can't all be they can't all be winners. Sometimes they're bad. Oh. I didn't see it. I don't have anything to say. I'll tell you what, why don't you talk about why don't you talk about something else? Tell me about Mass. That's another okay, that's um, another hoity toity film. <laughs> it's it's hoity toity. Yeah, it? it's, uh, it's a dress, serious drama, right? It, it is a like, serious drama. Like a this, genre film. This right? is a four hander. Uh, this takes place mostly in one room. The opening scenes are at a, a sort of a, a church right when it's opening. It's not on Sunday, so they're mm. sort of uh, about the church organizers sort of uh, herding these four people into this one room so they can have a conversation. Uh, the there's two couples, two married couples. They're played by um, Reed, Bernie, and Ann Dowd, or one couple, and uh, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton are the other couple. Yeah, and they sit there, things are very, very awkward, they're trying to have a conversation, and through their conversation, we learn that uh, the um, the Reed, Bernie, and Ann Dowd's uh, son, who is now dead, uh, perpetrated a mass school shooting. Ah. And uh, the Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton character's son was one of his victims. Got it. And they are... Spend this film conversing and essentially trying to get at the heart of both of these couples are trying to get at the heart of why. Yeah. What and, and yeah. of course, um, Jason Isaacs and Martha Plimpton, particularly the Jason Isaacs character is trying to get them to like admit that they parented wrong or that they missed yeah. some sort of red flag they, the, he want, that they could he, have prevented. Because that would be an explanation. Yeah. That would, he, wa- okay, he wants the, an explanation. That, now, now it all makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I get it. Martha Plimpton just wants them to know who her son was yeah. and what kind of a person he was. And, uh, and Dowd and Reed Bernie want them to know who their son was and what kind of person he was. And mm. that he, you know, if, if there was something they could have done differently, that's not what they're concerned with. All they know is the kid they knew. Yeah. And they, you know, it's, it's about how they're not to blame here. And there's actually a really powerful bit where they say, there was, you know, there were X number of victims at the school. For us, there were X plus one because nobody counts our son as one of yeah. the victims of this. Uh, the way the scenes play out, they uh, all of these actors clearly are very well rehearsed. They've spent a lot of time together and they are expertly directed uh, by Fran Kranz. Uh, this oh, is a film yeah. written and directed by the actor Fran Kranz, who was one of the Joss Whedon repertory players. And yeah, he, he was uh, in Dollhouse, hmm. and he was in that Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, uh, he was in yeah. uh, The Cabin in the Woods, and he's yeah. played, he's played a lot of sort of uh, sort of like layabouts and stoner characters in his career. He's often the best part of the movie he's in. I think mm. he was um, 
there was a terrible fucking version of Midsummer Night's Dream mm. set in like contemporary Hollywood. A couple it was, of years it was Beverly Hills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just almost unbearable. And I think he played like the bottom, of the Weaver. Yeah, I, I, and the whole thing is like he was coming into a student film. Yeah, and trying to dominate it with his like awesome grandiosity. And he's the best part of that movie. Yeah. He's the only thing part of that movie that really works. I, it's not good, but I do appreciate that. It yeah. felt like something like a friend of yours would have done in college. Yeah, like, it feels like a college project yeah. that got out of hand. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, ended up costing so much we had but, to release uh, it. But Fran Kranz, you know, he he is now, he wrote this and he's directing it. And clearly he has a good eye for the way actors operate. This is a very yeah. actorly piece. And he lets... Uh, I think Martha Plant, all four of these people should be in, in awards talk because wow. they're all excellent and they all have their moments. Mm. He lets them converse in a very natural way, but he lets the emotional beats play out in this impeccable fashion. Yeah. So it feels like it's really tightly written, even though it is just a conversation between four people in a single room. I like uh, that. I like that. I, I really want to see this. I'm definitely going to see this because, partly because um, I grew up watching Martha Plimpton. Yeah, yeah, Martha Plimpton was in the eighties in particular. Like adventures in babysitting. And in the eighties in particular, Martha Plimpton was a very like ubiquitous presence mm-hmm. in coming of age stories, and I was such a fan. I really, you know, everything from um, uh, she was in the Goonies, she was in Mosquito Co, she was in Running on Empty, another uh, uh, River Phoenix joint. She was in Parenthood. She was in this one movie, Samantha, which I really, really liked, where like she found out she was adopted and it mm-hmm. upended her whole world. And it's been done, but it's rarely been done much better. Uh, she's just really, really talented. And then just she just sort of faded out. She was constantly working, but she wasn't as prominent an actor for like the last twenty years or so. Mm-hmm. And it's just really exciting to know that she has a great role again, yeah. like a really highlight role. Yeah, it's really she, exciting yeah, for me. Yeah, I'm yeah, happy yeah. to see her get a good role that she deserves again. I think that's great. So uh, yeah, I'm stoked. It sounds like a bummer. Is it a bummer or is it oh, like no, a laugh I, riot? Okay. I, no, absolutely. It's a bummer. And okay. you'll, you'll be, you'll be clutch, well, clutching your chest throughout most of this Dear movie. Dear Evan Hansen tried to like, you know, have a deft hand with things well, and like that, it's, that, it that's, failed that's miserably. It's a musical. It's from a, yeah. t- it's a little bit more of an adolescent perspective. Yeah. This is adults talking about emotions that even, I mean, nobody, knows how to deal with those sorts of things. Yeah, that's just hard enough on its own. And this this is a movie very much about that. It's like, we have... All, all we're really trying to do here is grieve, and that's yeah. they don't really aren't are not aren't none of them are really in a position to do that yet, mm. or they are, and then they have to like keep on reliving that grief. Yeah, uh, yeah. This this is a really really good movie. Awesome. I'm definitely gonna check that out. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's see here. Why don't, why don't I review something <laughs> for a go, change? Sure. Go why for don't it. I earn my damn keep. Uh, while we're talking about serious things, why don't I talk about uh, the documentary I saw? Oh, okay. Uh, this is a film called The Rescue, uh, and it is a new documentary from uh, the directors of Free Solo. Okay, yeah. Uh, the, which the was m- the mountain climbing documentary. Yeah, it's, a, it's an Oscar winning mountain climbing movie, uh, and it's very breathtaking. And The Rescue is a movie that, honestly. It's amazing they got the footage that they got. Like, it feels like this should... Surely this is all reenactments, right? Apparently not. Like, this is just absolutely stunning what they were able to capture with this film. Um, This is a film about... uh, And you may remember this happened, like, only about three years ago. Uh, There was a group of, uh, like, young 
soccer players for football, if you're from anywhere other than America, uh, who were trapped in a cave during a flooding season. Hmm. Uh, and it's a very dense, cavernous cave system. And the floods came early. These kids and their coach were trapped. And everyone in the country sort of banded together to try to find a way to, A, see, find them, see if they're alive, and if they can, rescue them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out that the skill set needed to go cave diving in the water, no less, is so highly specialized that there's only a handful of people in the world who can do it, and all of them are hobbyists. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a thing. Professionals, people, yeah, yeah, it's not a thing you do because it, there's a job in it. Mm. It's a thing you do because like it's just the thing you do. Mm. So they ended up it's it's they ended up recruiting a bunch of people, mostly Brits and like a couple of Australians, uh, to come in there and cave dive in incredibly treacherous conditions, incredibly tight conditions. Try to find these kids. Miraculously, they find the kids. And now they got to figure out how the fuck do we get them out of there when we can barely make it in? Hmm. And they have no underwater training. They're malnourished. Oh, they might not survive. One of the things that uh, came up, and a lot of people might remember about this, was uh, Elon Musk was hmm. trying to devise some sort of oh, underwater right, yeah. submarine uh, in order to try to rescue the kids. Uh-huh. And everyone involved in the actual thing said, no, that's stupid. And when you see the actual footage they got in the caves with the divers, like you're underwater Ooh, with nice. them, like okay. it's, it's stunning. Uh, and you realize that we're talking crevices that you can barely shimmy through. You're not going to get a fucking metal submarine in there. Mm. It's not going to happen. And so they're trying to solve this impossible problem. And the solution they came to involves drugging the kids oh god putting a a scuba mask on them and then just dragging them through this cave system hoping they don't suffocate or that there doesn't end up being like a hole in their mask and that they won't die on route because and if they do and the kid dies they just got to drag the corpse out yeah like that's the only option that they have and everyone knows that any single thing can go wrong it's and they all describe it as this is a stupid plan this is the absolute worst possible plan <laughs> it is also the only plan that we have oh. it's literally the only thing we can do Jeez. it's really really exciting to see people who are a trying desperately trying to do the right thing hmm. you know they're really this isn't they're not in this for glory they're doing this because there's literally no one else in the world who can do what they do hmm. and this is like the one situation that could arise where they would actually be called into it in a very movie like situation to save the day and you see the pressure weigh on them and you see like how incredibly difficult it is and all of that is 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 very very cool it's the one thing that's like a little frustrating with the film is that because so much of it is focused on in in this I mean look they're they're in um I think it's they're in Thailand. Okay. Yeah, they're in Thailand. Uh 
And the focus is on this small group of white guys who are able to save the problem, which is just, it technically happened. Mm -hmm. And they do try to show as much as possible how much other people did assist. But the overall tone is, thank God for these white guys. And it's it's not really racist. They don't really bring it up. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of fundamental. And it's just a weird watch a little bit if you're aware of these things. Do they bring it to the fore? No, not really. These these guys fancy themselves as saviors? No, 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 they don't. But it's still because of the nature of it, because they are... They are they are saviors. They're the only people who have this skill set on the planet, mm. and they're the only white people talking in the film. It just comes across a little distracting, mm. and I want you to be aware of that. And it feels like what what can you do? They did the best they could in terms of making sure that they do talk to other people who are helping people who died trying to save the kids. Like there's a lot of attempts to mitigate this and make it so it doesn't feel that way. Mm. Um, they don't mention Elon Musk because fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's not even mentioned. Doesn't even warrant a mention. Well, he didn't do anything. He didn't, but like it would be so easy to put it in there because people remember that. And I actually applaud their restraint. Okay. Because it's not about that. Mm. That's, that's a total digression that gets cut from the movie immediately. You don't even bother with it. This is about people doing everything they can to try to rescue something. And it, the other thing that makes it feel a little a little wonky is that it ends on a fucking, like, a song that feels like it's designed to win an Oscar. <sighs> about importance of believing or some shit. And like, oh, so, so it'll be up for an Oscar. I'm sure it probably will. Um, or I'm sure it'll at least be in contention. I'm sure they're going to push for it. Um, and it's frankly, it's a little maudlin. It's a little, it's a little much. Mm. Uh, people did great things in this situation. That's awesome. I liked learning about it, and some of the footage that they got is genuinely astounding. Uh, but I, because it feels so much like a movie, the parts of it that feel the most like a movie stick out a little. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's not. I'm not like deeply in love with this as a documentary, but it's a cool documentary. Mm. And I do recommend seeing it, and I do think it's a good film. It's just got a couple of like little things. Maybe be aware of when you go in. Try to just you're gonna have to deal with this. Right. You're gonna deal with a few things, but anyway, it's it's very very good, and I do recommend it. Right. What, what do you got coming up next? Uh, What's Ju- next? Justin Bieber. Oh, another documentary. Another documentary. Nice. Uh, I'm so glad. Justin Bieber is a musician from Canada. Oh. <laughs> Justin Bieber uh, hit hit the scene real big in the early 2000s. He was a, a young teeny bopper idol for a long, long time. Uh, and this is a film, it's called Our World, which is uh, it's a concert film named after his record, My World, which I had to look up because I'm actually not terribly familiar with Justin Bieber. <laughs> and uh, he wanted to put on a concert uh, during the pandemic. And this is uh, very much about the logistics of setting up a concert. Uh, Mm. How are they going to film it? How are they going to broadcast it? How are they going to stay safe backstage with a bunch of choreography and a bunch of dancers on stage? How do you put on a concert during the pandemic? Interesting. interesting All of uh, of that stuff's pretty interesting. Uh, Mm. They intercut the building of the scene with the concert itself, which was held on the roof of, I, I think it was the Standard Hotel. It was a hotel in Beverly Hills. Yeah. And uh, they had drones all set up and they, you know, all, all of that set up stuff is really, really uh, fascinating just to what what sort of mechanics need to go into building a concert under extreme circumstances. 
The problem is they keep cutting back to Justin Bieber and his music, and neither of those things are at all interesting. Oh. Uh, Justin Bieber isn't a very fascinating character. He doesn't reveal things about himself in this film. He doesn't say you know, what's really at the heart of what, why he wants to do this or what he feels about this concert. Uh, you just sort of cut back to him. He's like, this is my new wife. I'm really in love with her. And he very much writes bubblegum pop in the simplest possible mold. There's a lot of, you know, baby, I love you, baby, baby kind, yeah. of, kind of music. None of it's terribly interesting to listen to. Uh, it's, he's just a really dull pop musician. I, I don't yeah. find a lot about Justin Bieber that I can get my hooks into. And I'm, I'm trying to stay open-minded here. I'm not one of those yeah. people who's going to slag on Justin Bieber just because he appeals to younger audiences. Yeah, to make fun of someone just because they're popular or because yeah. kids like them is frankly well, and lazy and there's naive, a, stupid. I, well, it's, it's something that, you know, People in their early twenties try to do a lot, isn't it? Oh yeah, uh, no, no and I'm, I've been that person. Oh, I've yeah, like made I, some fun of someone just because they're popular. And you know what? Mm. I was an immature <laughs> asshole, and oh, yeah. there are perfect. There are many people who are worthy of criticism. Mm. Find them. Don't just well, pick on someone just because they're popular. They're popular and they suck. Knock yourself out. But, there's all, there's yeah. and there's definitely a twinge of sexism to it as well because Justin yeah. Bieber appeals to young women yeah. and and girls and. Uh, those types of celebrities tend to get a lot of mockery from the bros in the world. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When, when I was young, we made fun of Barney and the Teletubbies and you know, those types of figures. Justin Bieber is not somebody I'm trying to, to dig into here is my yeah. point. Uh, I'm digging into him because I don't think his music is very sophisticated and I don't think he has a lot to say as a musician. Uh, you'll notice, uh, if you follow the arc of certain musicians, you'll notice about how their early music is about how they're in love or they're lovelorn or they're really struggling. They're trying to make it. And you fast forward three or four records and they've become worldwide superstars and now all of their songs are about how difficult it is to be famous because that's their yeah. only frame of reference now. Yeah, they've lost that. That's the Eminem yeah. the thing. That's the Taylor Swift thing. Yeah. And I think that's the Justin Bieber thing as well. He's singing about how good he has it now. Mm-hmm. And that's not very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's, he's also a super Christian and uh, unfortunately bears that mark of really dull Christian rock. Uh, if you know Christian rock, I think you kind of know what I'm talking about, where, uh, to, to quote Hank Hill, you're not making rock and roll, be- you're not making Christianity better, you're making rock and roll worse. Yeah. Uh, in, in putting his very uh, bland Christian bromides into his music, he's making his music even duller. Uh, so, unfortunately, this is half an interesting uh, uh, structure documentary, a, con- a con- constructive documentary, and the other half is just some really boring music yeah, that okay. I don't want to listen to. I'm not moved to get That's the learn thing, like, more about Justin Bieber if, or get more records. If you're going to see a documentary about a musician, you want the music to be good, right? I mean, well, even, well, even if you're not into them, you can like maybe like all the, like I saw that Katy Perry documentary, I forget what it was called. Um, like the rest of me, all of me, something, something like that. And like, I, I, I like Katy Perry fine, but I watched that documentary. I gained a greater appreciation for Katy yeah, Perry and I liked her music 
more as a result. And I think that's something that you want. Yeah, well, it'll like, appeal to people who yeah, already know them. If, but if you don't, you'll know more, and maybe you'll like them more. Or, or if you know, I, I saw a really wonderful uh, concert film recently came out on the Criterion Collection called "A Poem as a Naked Person." Oh yeah, and there was all this sort of like folk rock that I wasn't really familiar with. Mm-hmm. But that's an amazing concert film. Yeah, and it got me into that genre, even though this is the kind of music I probably wouldn't be listening to otherwise. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Justin so Bieber Justin, doesn't do that for yeah. me. He's he's not. They're not trying to sell. Justin Bieber. This is for They're people who are already pre-sold. kind of yeah, kind of into Justin Bieber and want to see just sort of what he's doing in his off hours. Mm. It's like the big drama. Oh no, somebody got COVID. What are we going to do? We have to wait three weeks while they're in quarantine. Okay, they're out of quarantine. We'll continue. Like they just fast forward to oh. LA. He's just out. There's no crisis. Okay. Well, good. I guess. Well, good. Good no that they yeah no they, that no they one survived. Seriously, no one got, know, no affected, one got sick like, and died. But yeah, yeah. Like ugh. all right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, documentaries. You saw another documentary, did you? Well, I saw the VHS movie. Um, VHS a is a... Found, found footage movie. Well, but found footage... The idea of found footage is that they're functionally documentaries, although they're fictionalized. Uh, VHS is a series of uh, horror anthology films. They are films comprised of shorter films, often made by multiple filmmakers. In the case of VHS, they're all made by different filmmakers, although sometimes they return for future sequels. Mm. The gag of VHS initially was that these all had the aesthetic of actual VHS. These are old VHS tapes that someone found in some mysterious circumstances, depending on what the framing device is for this particular film. Although, uh, from I, from what I recall in the first one, they, they fudged a lot. They like, already they fucked a, they, it up. They like, didn't get a lot of detail there was, correct about the way VHS Well, it's operates. not even the details. Like, in the first movie, one of them takes place, like, over like FaceTime, which is not not VHS. VHS, So you already fucked that up. Um, That's actually the short itself that takes place over FaceTime in the original VHS is actually one of the highlights of that film. It's actually really scary. Uh, But yeah, they've, they've always been a little fast and loose with the concept, Um, which um, yeah is what it is. And like all anthology films, they're all a little hit and miss. Um, The first VHS is like, Okay, VHS 2 is mostly quite good. Uh, there's a really, really great one about someone who's like got a GoPro on their helmet as they're like bicycling through the park. Also not VHS, but okay. I know. I'm with you on this. I, I think I even interviewed some people behind it and it was like, so when did, this tra- when did they transfer this to VHS? And they're like, shut up. What's <laughs> the general vibe? Like, it does, we're, we're past that. It doesn't matter. And like, so it's fine. But... Um, in a, in a playful way. They weren't being mean. Um, but uh, the, the gag of that one is that the person is then bit by a zombie, and now we're in a GoPro on a zombie. That's cute. It's actually a really, really good bit. Uh, but the the absolute most amazing, and this is still probably the highlight of the whole series, is um, uh, Timo Gigantos uh, and uh, Gareth uh, Hugh Evans, they directed a short called Safe Haven, which is one of the scariest horror movies of the 2010s. Nice. Okay. That in VHS two, like if you only watch the safe haven segment, mm. be aware it gets fucked up. It's really fucking violent and horrifying, but it escalates beautifully into some from something that starts off as like, oh, we're gonna like do like this sort of expose of this like possible cult or whatever, mm. and for like a sixty minutes kind of thing, and it just spirals out of control. 
and you just it gets so fucking incredibly horrifying mm-hmm. you couldn't believe it like i really am a huge fan of safe haven um then they followed that with vhs viral uh right. which, no, which was a little hit or miss uh that one had a weird supervillain magician bit which didn't really fit the tone of anything <laughs> there was a pretty good one from nacho vigalondo who i think is one of our better high concept genre filmmakers right now about a guy who invents a portal to an alternate dimension and mm. in his basement and goes into his house in another dimension only to find out things are not quite what they seem Pretty yeah, creepy. It's fun, okay. Uh, and then there's one that is pretty chaotic, and I'm not a huge fan of it, but it kind of works. Where it's, it's about a bunch of uh, skateboard kids who are like videotaping their skateboard stunts, and uh, then they get attacked and stuff, and it's it's okay. Uh, this new one is called VHS 94. Ostensibly, these are taking place on or around 1994, but mm. it doesn't really fucking matter. Uh, the but still in, uh, VHS was still the preferred recording medium. Yeah, exactly. So that's a good time in which mm. to, to make it work. But um, the idea of this one is the framing device, and this is something that the VHS movies have always struggled with: is to do a good framing device. Mm. Like it's never quite nailed it. But the framing device of this one is it's a police raid. They think it's a drug ring, but it's actually some kind of weird cult dedicated to like stuff films so they like keep like building and going into this building and finding like severed hands and stuff and people who are like watching like a tv monitor but they plucked out their own eyes (laughs) and uh we we see some of the videos uh the first one is really fun it's called storm drain and it is a local tv uh tv reporter Mm. who is investigating reports of a uh what do you call him a cryptid Okay. Uh, a, a fictional or possibly fictional uh, on, on species. An existence, uh, a creature whose existence hasn't yet been substantiated. Yeah, people claim it exists, but we haven't proven it yet. And there's a... a oh, they all exist. Every okay. last one of them. They're all real. But their proof has not been substantiated, is my point. They're, so they're, well, they're, they're wily. She's trying to prove it, is my point. Okay. They're, they're, they're interviewing people about in the small town about the appearance of a creature called the Rat Man. It's a half-human, half-rat creature. Okay. And uh, she uh, she's trying to uh, do a story on it, and then her producer is like, we need, we need better footage. And so she ends up actually crawling into the sewer in order to get good footage, and it gets pretty bad from there. Uh, bad for her, rather. It's actually a good short, and it's pretty scary for some of it. And then it ends with a really great kind of like a punchline. Mm. Like the last scene is like a really memorable kind of funny slash scary thing. Mm. And I don't want to ruin it for you, but yeah. it's it's very, very worthy. It's 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 a very, very good bit. Uh, the next one was written and directed by Simon Barrett, uh, who wrote uh, but did not direct The Guest. Mm. Um It's called The Empty Wake, and it's about a young woman who is working for a funeral home. And there's a wake for someone who died in a way that horrifically mutilated them. Mm. It's a closed casket funeral. Uh, And they want to videotape the wake, which is a service they don't usually offer but is available. Uh, And for whatever reason, the family or next of kin wanted to have the wake available like all night. Mm. So she's just sitting there with the body in front of cameras all night. And occasionally she can hear something, a sound from the coffin. Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to tell you where it goes. What I will say is that it's very satisfying. It's a very good, old-fashioned, very pure kind of horror story. Mm. Uh, 
right there in the concept. It's very much inspired by a, a Russian, I think maybe the first like Russian horror movie done in the Soviet era called V. DIY, okay. yeah, yeah. Uh, which is really cool, by the way, and you should totally see it. I think it's on Shutter. Um, but uh, it's a very, very good bit. It's a, it's a good short. I think it's very effective. It gets very creepy by the end. Uh, the next short that they have is also from Timo Gigianto. Uh, Gareth Evans isn't back for this one. It's called The Subject. Uh, this one's fucked up. I like uh, that. It's about a mad scientist in the nineties. Who is trying to create a like super race of cyborgs by kidnapping people and mutilating them and replacing bits of their body with various bits of machinery? Oh, it's surgery horror. That's, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, right. it's mad scientist horror, surgery horror, and a lot of the movie or almost the entire thing uh, takes place from the perspective of one of his victims. And one of the opening scenes, we see him remove her brain, and then we're seeing it from her perspective. She's back. Okay. But it's from her eye line. It's like that bitten Robocop when they're building him. Okay, yeah. And, and so, like, like, we're hold, seeing... Holding like the, her organs in front of her eyes. So we're seeing, like, there. the battery life, and it looks like he's... It, it, one gets the impression that he probably used a VHS camera for, like, her ocular cavity or whatever like that. <laughs> okay. And he's trying to rebuild her, and she's trying to, like, maybe escape if she can. And then a whole bunch of police come in to swarm the place to save everybody. And then when they see what happened to her... They're like, oh, we can't take that back to her family. Hmm. Kill it. And you're like, oh my fucking God. And then it's about her trying to escape and where it goes from there, I won't tell you. There's some amazing creature effects in this one. Oh, like, yeah. It's a really cool looking stuff in this short. What I think is really interesting about this short is the way that it's structured is actually has less to do cinematically with like the history of cinema as we know it and way more to do with the beginning of video games. And how oh, a lot of video games will take place from like in the early cutscenes will introduce a lot of story by people like talking to you with the player through someone's eyes. Yeah. And you're kind of helpless to do anything. Like you can't move yet and you're being controlled oh, you're by just, the computer. Just, yeah, and then eventually and then eventually you're freed to, to try to game. survive. Yeah. To, to try to survive while people are trying to kill you, basically. Alright. And it's that as a short film. And with that structure to sort of unlock it and show how it works, mm. it's masterfully done. Nice. Like it's really, really cool. Definitely see this one. It's really, really awesome. Um, and then the last one is called Terror. Terror is... Uh, it's a fucking weird one. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it takes place in a compound of uh, political dissidents who want to blow up a government building in America in the 90s. Okay. Uh, and they're making videos about their, you know white supremacist anarchist e movement ethos, talking yeah. about how they're the greatest thing ever even though they're obviously all idiots mm -hmm. uh but but they do have a plan that is unlike any other plan of the era and it involves explosive blood <laughs> it goes very badly for everybody <laughs> It's another oh, really? one. Where, what, what could possibly go wrong with explosive blood? It's it's kind of funny, but it's also the sort of thing where it's like we want none of these people to succeed. They're all horrible. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically you're basically just waiting for the body count to come out because it's all going to go really really bad. It's another one with some very cool creature effects in it, uh, but it feels like more of a larf than anything yeah. else. Um, as VHS movies go, this is pretty dang consistent. Uh, this is maybe the most consistent one. 
okay. the framing device is a little weak. They all are, but like the actual shorts are all pretty darn good. And so uh, I would definitely they, say this is one to one to see. Were they all shot on VHS or is it digital film and they you know, altered I, the style? I can't say that with absolute confidence, but at the very least in this one, they're all supposed to look like VHS, and so they're okay. approximating it. They're not like doing a bunch of GoPros and they're just putting it on VHS. All like right. no, they're. They definitely made more of a concerted effort to follow the aesthetic as suggested. All right. By this, so you know what you can do: get consumer grade VHS cameras yeah. and just shoot on VHS. It looks. If I were to guess, I'd say some of them were and some of them weren't. But mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I don't think Timo Gigantos was. It's a little too slick for that. Because uh, there's a lot of visual effects yeah. in that one. I don't think it probably would have been a good idea to do it in pure VHS. It probably makes more sense to do it in something high fidelity and then degrade it but like a lot of the other ones do look like they were shot in like lower grade cameras well, were, were I asked to make a VHS short mm-hmm. I, I would stick to the letter if I could yeah mm. like that would be that unless like they told me I couldn't for some reason like, right. but I would like but I would totally want to do that too um, but yeah this is a good one I like I generally speaking I'm a fan of this franchise they're all kind of hit or miss but this one that's almost mm. all hits uh, and I, and I think what, what the next generation of this is going to be because we, we fetishize the in horror stories we fetishize the technology of the generation before yeah uh, oh no we've we've captured a, a ghost on a Polaroid you yeah know, you don't know you rarely catch a ghost on you know your phone no you do that I, now I, it's, oh, it's, it's I, just I guess, something yeah. a little less exciting about it I oh, guess what, but... what was the one about the the killer app that counts down the death countdown. clock. Out. It was called Countdown. Yeah, it's, a, it's you, you download an app. On, app. Yeah. You, you can download an app on your phone, and the idea is it counts down to when you're going to die, but the gag is that it's actually real. Mm. And if you like looked in the code of the app, it's like got runes and shit in it, like in like the movie <laughs> Friend Request. Um, it's actually a fun movie. It makes no sense, it's, but it's, it makes, it's a fun movie. It's stupid as hell, but yeah, yeah. it is fun to watch. Um, yeah. I'm wondering what the next generation of that will be. I don't know. It's exciting to see. GoPro. There's always going to be an update. I think... Or not GoPro. Um, what, what was the... Um, the flip cameras. Remember the flip oh, cameras? Yeah. yeah. I, the they have a whole I, anthology film about flip cameras. The thing that I think is... And I want to actually uh, give a, give, make it abundantly clear. This is produced by uh, Brad Mishka, who uh, runs Bloody Disgusting. Mm-hmm. I've done some writing for Bloody Disgusting. I don't know Brad Mishka. There's no yeah. uh, uh, real connection there. Uh, but in, so in, in, in the, the interest of disclosure, disclosure, I do I do, yeah. I do have like this tangential connection to him. Um, but uh, what I think is interesting about VHS is that one of the reasons why because Blair Witch Project was like the first it had been done before, but it was the one that really blew open the idea of the found footage horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took until Paranormal Activity for it to get really popularized, and I think the reason why is because in that ten year period, everyone had consumer grade smartphones. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone was videotaping. They're not all amateur filmmakers, but everyone was videotaping their lives more using this particular type of camera. And it was became more ubiquitous. And as a result, we were more familiar with the language of this particular new kind of... of and, and because even back when like people had VHS camcorders, they were kind of expensive. Not everyone had them. Mm-hmm. So now, because they came standard with most phones, people were living their lives more through that lens. And as a result, it wasn't like a reach to get people to get invested in filmmaking in the found footage format because so many people are familiar with it intimately already just in their daily lives. Yeah, VHS is trying to go backtrack from that. And a lot of the times they have to come up with an excuse like... There's clearly like 
it feels like a lot of these were designed by, okay, why would someone videotape themselves in the 90s? Who was videotaping themselves in the 90s? Well, militia groups would videotape themselves in the 90s and they would do like propaganda videos and like that kind of thing. That one makes sense. You know, people would videotape themselves while they were doing experiments or scientific works, cataloging their work, that kind of thing. So this one actually feels like it makes more sense than the usual. Um, All right. Tell me about the manner you saw a horror movie. Uh, I did see a horror movie. Um, This is uh, another one of the films in the Welcome to the Blumhouse film series of this year. They've been doing for a year, for two years now, and I imagine they'll just continue. Uh, This is... uh, about 30 minutes of Tales from the Crypt stretched out to an 80-minute feature. Uh, uh, Barbara Hershey plays a goth grandma ex-ballet dancer. Sold. <laughs> Barbara Hershey's great. Sold. I'm in. Thank you. Uh, who uh, has a stroke and okay. uh, is going to definitely going to be prone to more, so she has moved into an assisted care facility, and she hates it. She hates living in the assisted care facility. Um She's actually still very lively and active, but because she's uh, liable to have a stroke, she has to stay at this assisted care facility. And wouldn't you know it, eerie things are afoot. Yeah. They lock them inside. Hmm. They're not allowed to go outside uh, unaccompanied. Uh, And they're complaining, a a lot of the other guests, uh, Barbara Hershey notices, are complaining about how there's uh they're being forced to stay in bed a lot of people are being mm. strapped down into their beds right. the staff treats them very very brusquely so the horrors lot, of elder of, care yeah, yeah. exactly all, okay. all of, but uh wouldn't you know it there's also some kind of tree demon stalking the hallways of this assisted care facility as well go on uh so she knows that something eerie is going on and she doesn't trust the staff. She begins confiding in a few of the other uh, people who are living there, including Bruce Davison. Cool. Uh, he's really cool. I, I like Bruce Davison. Great actor. Also actor, uh, characters played by Stacey Travis and Kira Payton. Uh, and they are sort of co-conspiring, trying to figure out the mysteries of what's going on. And uh, I'd, I'd, I'm tempted to tell you what happens. Don't. But I don't need to because you'll predict it because yeah. this is predictable as fuck. Uh, this ah. is if you've seen any episode of Tales from the Crypt, you'll know where this is going. Uh, if you've seen Bubba Hotep, you'll know where this is going. Uh, there's some fun to be had in watching it unfold in a kind of predictable manner in that it's familiar in, in a comforting way. Mm. Barbara Hershey is is fun as this sort of goth grandma character. She has a, uh, mm. a goth grandson mm. and they kind of bond over their love of like spooky stuff uh in fact he wears a, a shockwaves button the podcast oh my god yeah so oh, there, there's a little adorable. little little insider uh insider horror reference the uh, the la horror community can be very insular and shockwaves which is uh, hosted by a friend of the show we've had her on uh, some of our shows before rebecca mckendry yeah yeah we, uh is is just everyone every horror person in la knows that podcast yeah. and probably has so, been on it at some point so yeah i have once uh, it was fun and this and she surely she knows jason bloom or jason blum and yeah. uh you know, oh when we, she she was the editor for blumhouse when they that's had right their, yeah there was a brief period where blumhouse had their own like mm. kind of fangoria type online publication and, and you yeah, and i we, both wrote we for wrote it. rather pro- i wrote rather prolifically for that website yeah i wrote a quite a bit. few things uh, as well, and they're almost all gone some of them were really good too i was actually yeah. really really proud of some of the stuff i wrote for that mm. and it just they, they, I, they raced from the internet it's gone. i i Real wrote bummer. an essay on uh on a Serbian film oh, yeah. and how it like relates to the politics of the post Milosevic era and mm-hmm. 
Like I did a lot of deep diving and like cultural research as to what that film really means. And yeah, they took one that, that one down. I took, I did a great essay on uh, why the scream franchise is often misunderstood and it's mm-hmm. actually uh, deeply feminist. Uh, Michelle wrote a great article about why the craft is nowhere near as feminist as people think it is. Oh, golly, yes. Uh, and uh, I also wrote a very in-depth interview with director Brett Leonard, who a lot of people know from Lawnmower Man and Virtuosity, but he also directed uh, the Marvel movie Man-Thing, which ended up going straight to video. Uh, and he was very, very frank mm-hmm. about the behind-the-scenes issues that plagued that film <laughs> and why that film turned out the way it did. And yeah. it was very, very cool to have it online, and it is gone now. Yeah. That kind of bumps me I, out. I, I kept all the articles. I still have them. I probably have it somewhere still... in a hard drive, but like, yeah, <laughs> it's, just, just... it's not... They're Look, hours. They, if they're, they're not on the publishers, they're hours they, again. They so, are. Yeah. That's true. But the thing is, is that, and I know people who are just like, "Hey, well, listen, you still have the word files, right?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yes." However, mm-hmm. when you're trying to get work, having a word file of an article is not the same as being able to point uh, to a, a publication that it, and say, show that it was published. This was published by a professional publication. This that's that's different. Mm-hmm. That, that doesn't count the same way. It is also something where if someone was say like writing about the history of Marvel comics characters and they got to the Man-Thing movie and they realized there isn't a lot of material. There is a fucking treasure trove that is only on a hard drive somewhere. Mm. You know, it's a bummer. You can't find it. So um, I digress. But uh, in any case, Chocolates yeah, uh, is a thing. But the manor. The the, the manor is, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't need to be a movie. This doesn't need to be a movie. This is a, a simple campfire kind of story yeah. uh, that is told effectively enough. Uh, like, it's well put together, but I wish okay. some thought or wit or a twist had been put into this. Well, you know what? You know what a horror movie has a lot of thought and wit and twists in it is there's someone inside your house. Oh, I thought you were going to say malignant. No, well, actually, yes. <laughs> I, love, I love me some malignant, don't get me wrong. But there's a new slasher movie on Netflix right now called There's Someone Inside Your House. Mm-hmm. It's directed by Pat. Patrick Bryce, it's based on a 2017 novel by Stephanie Perkins. I haven't read it. Um, and it's a really good new slasher. I'm going to say right now, there aren't a lot of... Slasher genres gone largely out of favor, but it never goes away because it's cheap. It's easy to pull off. Uh, but it's not often that we get a new, really good one. Mm-hmm. And this is a really, really good one. I really like this one a lot. Uh, this follows... Very closely, my it, it's a rule I have in my head for slashers, and of course, there's always an exception to every rule. But uh, my rule for slashers is, would this movie be interesting if the killer never showed up? That's it. If, if the characters would be interesting, even if they weren't getting killed. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Would their stories be worth following? Mm-hmm. The answer is yes. This is a very good ensemble cast of teenagers who are getting brutally murdered by a slasher. The idea is there is a killer in a small town in Nebraska who is killing people who are hiding a dark secret, whatever that is. Hmm. Some person uh, was involved in like a dark secret. Yeah. People have different dark secrets. Like the first, the first victim is some is a Jack who in the middle of some sort of hazing thing, beat someone mercilessly and got away with it. And no one knew about it. So that person dies horribly. And there's someone else who, uh, ostensibly is a goody two shoes valedictorian everyone loves them but they also made like racist podcasts uh, like white supremacist podcasts and things so and the killer's mo is they stalk them they're usually in like the house with them hence the title 
Um, but what's kind of cool is one of the cool things when you're doing a slasher, and this is something that I notice a lot of filmmakers, you don't really have to do it, but it's fun to do it. Come up with a new mask. <laughs> What's your mask gonna be? What is the killer's mask? A lot of the like? a lot of the great slashers, the ones who like are like where especially where it's a secret of who they are, but even then, they got an iconic mask because you want to show them, but you don't want to have them like emote too much. You want them to be this sort of otherworldly yeah, yeah. horror. So you've got the iconic Michael Myers mask, which is uh, William Shatner mask painted white, awesome. You've got uh, the Jason Voorhees mask has nothing to do with anything. He never plays hockey. Like, it's got nothing to do with hockey, but whatever. Yeah. It's stuck. People like it. Yeah. The mask is from the Detroit Red Wings. Mm-hmm. And, uh... He's from New Jersey. He's from New Jersey. And, I don't uh, know. Uh, I, I, I put that out. It's like, why isn't that a Jersey Devils? The Jersey... Uh, yeah. The New Jersey Devils is the, you would, the New, New, you would think, New Jersey right? hockey team. Uh, somebody pointed out to me, because I don't know hockey history, the uh, Jersey Devils weren't formed until shortly after that movie. So there was no Jersey, wait, Jersey before hockey I, team. Wait, wait. But, before uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 went. For okay, sure. just want to make sure because the, the match wasn't introduced until 3. So, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Still feels like something you could have updated after a while, but anyway. Mm. Um, the, the next one. Maybe. Anyway. Uh, but at Scream, you've got, of course, the mask that resembles the Scream. Works perfectly. It was a prefab mask. Though. It was, it was but cost, it still... It was a costume you could get. But it still fit the film, didn't it? And it became iconic, and it works. This one, neat idea, the killer uses, um, oh, what do you call those machines where like you put in like a program and it like makes anything for you? Like a, a 3D printer? 3D printer. Uses oh, a 3D printer to make a mask that looks like the victim. So nice. you're being chased around the house by someone with your face. Oh, that's cute. That's genuinely disturbing. It's a really, really <laughs> creepy idea. I have not seen that one before. Kudos. Seems like a that lot. Rocks. A lot of work to like scan in somebody's face and print it out. One thing I do like, and without, I'm not going to tell you like how it ends or who does it or anything like that. But when the, all is revealed, there is a line. It's like, do you have any idea how much work this was? And I'm like, yeah, this is, this is a lot actually. This took a lot of effort to this movie. Um, but uh, but anyway, we meet a, a, a large group of teenagers um, who are many of whom are about to be killed. Some of whom are not. Some of whom are just red herrings. Um, and uh, they all have things that they're hiding. And we live in a world where people's shit gets revealed a lot. Mm. You know, where people, you know, you, you can, you, you commit, if you have you something. an infraction, you thought yeah. it was in your past and yeah. somebody finds that on Twitter. And, it can happen, yeah. you know, and it doesn't matter if you've moved on from it. It doesn't matter. You've changed if it's, or grown or it, yeah, it could be just amends a, already. It could just be yeah. a mistake. And it's something that people, I feel, live in fear of having the worst or stupidest thing they've ever done come out. Mm. Uh, some of these people are genuinely bad people who've done terrible things and, and when and they die it feels like karma. Yeah. It feels like karma. In a horror movie way it feels like okay justice has in a weird bad way been done. But a lot of people are actually like trying to turn their lives around and they don't deserve this. And I think the movie understands guilt. I think the movie understands shame mm. in a way that a lot of these horror movies don't really. Um, I think it's got really sparkling dialogue, a really, really great ensemble cast, very memorable horror bits. Um, it's uh, quite good. Okay. It's a little long in the middle. I think it probably doesn't need to be... Uh, uh, it, it's not the longest movie, actually. It's only about 96 minutes, but it still feels like it could have been trimmed a smidge. Okay. Uh, just, just in the middle, maybe we could have picked up the pace between like the second and third murders but whatever uh 
but uh, yeah, this really scratches that itch of like, I want to see a slasher with well-written characters. I don't necessarily know who the killer is. There's some really clever kills. It's not really meta because no one's really talking about being in a movie, mm-hmm. but it is definitely written by people who understand self-aware teenagers. Uh, I really like this movie. I highly recommend this movie. And, and honestly, kudos to Netflix for releasing, like, what is this, their fourth excellent slasher this year <laughs> between the three Fear Street movies and this. Uh-huh. Like, well done indeed. I really highly recommend this film. Please see it. It's a great, scary treat for the holiday season. Uh, and then uh, we got one more from you, right? What do we got left? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, a film called South of Heaven, and this is going to be quick. Um, okay. Uh, this is um, uh, a crime drama, crime slash disease drama. Um, oh. Jason Sudeikis plays uh, an ex-con. He's just getting out of prison. He's uh, happy to be getting out of prison because he's going back to his uh, girlfriend slash soon-to-be fiance, uh, played by Evangeline Lilly. And Evangeline Lilly is dying of movie cancer. Uh, she... Uh, <laughs> And which he is wants to, to say, which is to say, they're dying, but it doesn't affect how good they look. Well, it doesn't affect how good they look, and they don't have any symptoms whatsoever. We're yeah. just told they're dying. Uh, uh, Roger Ebert referred to it as Ali McGraw disease in reference to the movie Love Story. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, she doesn't seem to be ailing in any sort of way, but we're assured she's going to die within a year. So, Jason Sudeikis, being a kind, decent kind of an ex-con, wants to give her the best year of her life and wants okay. to marry her and you know take her away. Of wouldn't you know it, though, because he's an ex-con, he falls back in with some of his uh, ex-con buddies who pressure him and pressure him to get back into the lifestyle, just like the old days. Eventually, he incurs the ire of a local uh, mob boss, played by the actor Mike Coulter. He was Luke okay. Cage in, yeah. uh, in the Luke Cage series. He's a good actor. I like Mike he's, Coulter. He's uh, unbelievably charismatic, uh, yeah. he, and he's really good in this movie. Yeah. And... Uh, it ends up that there's like a cross uh, kidnapping plot where he, in order to get J- Jason Sudeikis uh, uh, more enmeshed in the plot, mm-hmm. has to kidnap Evangeline Lilly, whereas Jason Sudeikis, in revenge, kidnaps Michael Coulter's son. And they, uh, there's a bit where they're both like talking to their own victims. It's supposed to play a little bit like a light sort of Coen Brothers romp where these are all kind of scumbags and it could explode into violence at any minute, but it's really kind of light along the way and the characters are kind of kind and funny Mm. despite being murderous criminals. But uh, this is another one of those films that is clearly stuck together with chewing gum out of every kind of crime movie cliche you've seen before. So even the Jason Sudeikis character doesn't really emerge as a fully formed character. Now, I do like Jason Sudeikis. Um, I I first saw him in like the Horrible Bosses movie, I think. Yeah. Uh, But he's actually kind of emerged. I haven't seen any of Ted Lasso. I've heard he's quite good on that. Everyone keeps saying it's amazing. I need Um, to sit down with it. But I think he's a a good actor with a lot of like range and nuance to his performances. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was really good in Sleeping with Other People. He was really good in Colossal, where he played a a kind man who turned out not to be so kind. Uh, Yeah. And in this one, he's playing kind of this interesting character in that he's like a former scumbag who is clearly a very decent hearted fellow. Mm. But even that feels like a cliche I've seen in movies before. And every sort of plot yeah, twist yeah. feels like something I've seen in a movie before. Uh, and by the time we get to uh, sort of the, the final shootout at the end, it's like only then does the filmmaker really realize what they were trying to do with this. And that was shoot one really fun 
shootout sequence. Uh-huh. Uh, the director yeah. is uh, Aaron uh, Kashalis, and I don't know, uh, it's a, an Israeli filmmaker, and I don't know their work so, uh, so well. They did okay. uh, Big Bad Wolves and a segment oh, yeah. in uh, uh, ABCs of Death 2. Yeah, no, I've seen, uh, I, 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 I saw Big Bad Wolves. It's okay. okay. Yeah. 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 No, uh, I didn't love it, but it's, he, it's He's done something that's... Uh, I, I, Judging by the rest of uh, of their filmography, it's something a little bit more downbeat and sedate and uh, hum- human. Yeah. But uh, that oh, apart from that. Oh one wait, I didn't shoot- see Big Bad Walls. I I, I apologize. I don't oh. want to uh, misrepresent it. No, that's okay. not. I was thinking of a different filmmaker. Never mind. Uh, no, I was thinking of a different film they made. They made a film called Rabies, uh, which was which was declared the first feature length horror film from Israel. Hmm. Uh, it's not very good. Uh, and, uh, that was, uh, and that no was worthy, co- perhaps, co-made by Navat Publishado, who did a Gunpowder yeah. Milkshake earlier this year. Oh, that's, uh, I yeah. thought that sounded familiar that that came up recently. Yeah. yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, South of Heaven, yeah. You can tell that uh, the, the filmmaker is really trying to uh, sh- shoot the heck out of this one uh, shootout sequence, and you can see people running out of ammo and actually getting tired. There's a lot of wonners going through these sort of hallways. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a really impressive sequence, but... What does this have to do with Evangeline Lilly dying of Ali McGraw disease? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty corny. Evangeline Lilly is not good, and uh, that's a shame. the the only part I really liked was the Mike Coulter character. He's yeah. he's like the only sort of really ener- energetic part of the movie. Bummer. All right, well, uh, let's review movies on a critically acclaimed scale. If you're new, or if you forgot, mm-hmm. or just like hearing me say it. Uh, we review movies on a scale of C minus to C plus. The highest you can get is a C plus. That is above average. We recommend that movie. We might think it's brilliant. We might just think it's pretty darn good. But we suggest you see it. We think it's great. Hmm. Neat. Whatever. Good. Bah. C. C is average. Mixed bag. A little bit of good. A little bit of bad. Might be good for some audiences. Bad for others. C. Meh. C minus. Below average. We don't recommend those. Either we just don't Hmm. think they're very good. We might think they suck. Like they're really not good. Perhaps. Hmm. Uh, and uh, that's a review of movies. So, uh, Whitney, on a scale of C minus to C plus, how do you judge South hmm. of Heaven? I saw a lot of just sort of below average movies. So, South of Heaven, I'm going to give a C minus. Okay. But it, there's no hate in that C minus. It's mm. just not uh, like nothing to other. recommend it. Uh, I'm going to give There's Someone Inside Your House a C plus. This is a very sharp, very funny, and surprisingly emotionally like effective slasher with also some excellent kills like that's okay. a it's a really really good combo it's just it's one of the better original slasher films i've seen in a while hmm. uh especially without like an extra gimmick like time travel from happy death day or whatever like that. <laughs> just a pure yeah. straight up slasher one of the best ones i've seen in a long time uh anyway uh the manor oh the manor um uh, uh... A pretty high C minus. Uh, again, Barbara Hershey's good, but yeah, this this needed to be a Tales from the Crypt episode. It needed to be over in thirty minutes, not eighty. Yeah. Uh, VHS ninety four. Uh, I'm gonna give it. A, I'm gonna have a very low C plus. Uh, it's not, definitely right. not like horror classic material, but I gotta give credit to any horror anthology where there really aren't any bad segments. The wraparound isn't great, but hmm. who cares? It's just the wraparound. The actual segments themselves are pretty strong, especially for this franchise. So uh, the highlights are really, really good, and the lowlights are still pretty good. So there you go. Uh, what about Justin Bieber, Our World? Uh, I guess if you're a Justin Bieber fan, then you probably already watched it, so you don't mm. need me to recommend it to you. 
Uh, yeah, it, it, this is for people who find Justin Bieber far more interesting than I do, mm. uh, because he's sort of a, a cuts a dull figure, and his, I don't really like his music that much. It kind of mm. weighs the film down. So, mm, C also a C minus. All right, what about? I think I lost track of which what order we did these in. Oh, what, let what, me just what, what do we do? Mass. Tell me about Mass. Uh, Mass is a C plus. I really liked okay. Mass. It is great acting. It is emotionally devastating, and it's very very powerful. I recommend Mass. Okay, uh, the rescue. Mm. A uh, new documentary about uh, the rescue of a group of children who were trapped in the mine in Thailand. Mm. Um, it's it's pretty dang effective, honestly. It's it runs into some structural issues because it really does feel contrived. Because in a typical movie, it would be, mm. uh, but it's hard to really judge it on those terms because this shit really happened, and it's kind of hard to believe how effectively people solved a nearly impossible problem. Yeah, and just yeah. seeing smart people trying to solve problems, always captivating cinema to me. Mm. Uh, so it's a very, very good, and I do recommend it. Uh, what about Lamb? Lamb, uh, Lamb was, it was just so disappointing. Um, I'm going to give it a low C. Okay, it's not a complete wash, but yeah, there there could have been so much more to something like this. Uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion is the definition of a C. <laughs> uh, it's it's perfectly pleasant most of the time, but it's never remarkable. It's never great. Mm. Uh, there's only a couple of gags that really stand out and those are already fading in my mind. Uh, There's just a general sense of Disney wanted to do something with the Muppets and they wanted to do something for Halloween and it made sense to put the Muppets in the Haunted Mansion, but it kind of feels like we're just going through a Muppets like reskin of the Haunted Mansion ride Mm. rather than actually seeing its own new thing. That's kind of a bummer. Uh, But uh, still, it's the Muppets. It's hard to be angry at it. So middle of the road C. Mm. Uh, and uh, then I guess that would let, leaves us with no time to die, which again I did not see. So you got right. the final word. Uh, it's a C. Okay. Uh, I mean it's, it's it's good. It's not great. There's some some highlights. It's f- it it really is far too long. It, it didn't need to be as long as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if you're a big fan of uh, the Daniel Craig arc, if mm-hmm. you like sort of what he's been going through through the course of his five movies, and you want to see it sort of wrapped up in a satisfying sort of way, this will do it. Okay. Not in an explosive kind of way, but it'll do it. Okay, which is a, you would expect explosives from a Bond movie, but oh well, I mean, there's plenty of explosions in the movie. Okay, well, and the, especially at the, especially at the ends because it's right. the climax. Awesome, just blow up everything. Why not? Big, big, big one big notable explosion. Neat. All right, well, uh, that is it for critically acclaimed this week. We'll be back next week with reviews of other new films. The new Halloween is coming out this week, so we'll definitely be reviewing that. Surely mm-hmm. some other things as well. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't already, please do. Uh, You might want to check out our Patreon if you haven't yet. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Huge shout out to all of our patrons without whom our show would not exist Mm -hmm. at all. So thank you so much for contributing. We mean it. It means the world to us. Uh, If you want to join up at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, we have a lot of exclusive shows. Shows about the 1960s Batman. Shows about every single Star Trek ever made. Shows about every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. uh, Commentary tracks. We do online hangouts. You can vote for future episodes of our various programs. Uh, There's a lot over there, and uh, we hope you're enjoying it. So thank you for that. if you want to get more stuff for the Halloween scary season, check out our Etsy store, me and M. Lapis da Silva. We have a store called Salt Cat Soap. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Salt Cat Soap. You can get a link to the Etsy store there. Mm. We have a lot of cool items for the Halloween season. Uh, at, at the moment, I believe we do actually have one or two of our glow-in-the-dark ghost soaps 
They really glow in the dark. Hmm. Uh, they've been selling like hotcakes, uh, but we do happen to have at least one or two available right now. I can't promise that's the case by the time the podcast is live, mm-hmm. but you know, stick around. We'll make more. Uh, but we also have uh, you know pumpkin soaps and um, a lot of other. Uh, we have that egg roll and post soap in there as well, Ooh, and of nice. course our usual uh, uh, assortment of uh, fine, fancy soaps mm-hmm. and delights, stocking stuffers. Perhaps you might consider it. If not, I respect that. Enjoy. Make sure you're <laughs> washing yourself with something, even though it's not our soap. Um, and uh, yeah, and of course we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at Landon Biani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And Whitney, am I forgetting anything? Uh, nope, not right now. Awesome. All right, so thank you everybody. Have a great week. And uh, bye and stuff. Everyone's a critic. That's how we end up. <laughs> Sorry, what?